there guys and welcome back to Lawfinder, a Pathfinder history podcast by the Hobble Goblin Company. Today we're learning more about Numeria, and to help me with that, I have a very special guest, Rain Zero, host, editor, and GM of To Have and To Roll. Welcome, Rain. Hello, and thank you for having me. More than welcome. So, you've got a bit of history with Numeria <laughs> itself. Yes, you could certainly say that. <laughs> Alright, so tell everyone how deep your history is and how long that's been going for. Alright, so my history with Numeria stretches very far back to many years ago when there happened to be a Humble Bundle sale where uh, I was just getting into Pathfinder and they had this bundle where you get all the all the main Pathfinder books and the Iron Gods Adventure Path. I ignored Iron Gods Adventure Path for a long period of time because I was just playing Kingmaker at the time. But then uh, I got a little antsy and I was like, I really want to run a game. And hey, I just happened to own all these books. So I started I started getting ready back in 2017 to run Iron Guts. And in July of 2017, I launched my campaign. And we have been going bi-weekly ever since then. That's a great starting point. Let's dive into a bit of the history of Numeria, why it is the uh, land of the gun and yes. the land of technology. So, yeah, the, the land of Numeria um, started off much like a lot of the broken lands as one of one of the ways that friends who got me into Pathfinder like to frame it is uh, imagine Conan, you know, you got barbarians and warring city-states and tribal feuds and stuff like that. And the lands that are now Sarkoris and Numeria were kind of smack dab in the middle of all this. For a long time, the indigenous peoples, the Kelids, who I usually describe as an entire race of Arnold Schwarzeneggers, you know, they're all like super jacked. They all fight with really heavy weapons. They're always ready to fight. Basically, the Kelids were living normal lives in Numeria. They had tribal feuds. They had differing power dynamics. And then way back in the year 5293, and an event happened that most of us were familiar with. I'm sure you guys have talked about it already a bit. We yeah, have indeed. It is Earthfall, in which the Aboleth grabbed uh, a meteor and called it down on Galarian to wipe out all life on Galarian. And it didn't work. It straight at the continent of Aslant. <laughs> it didn't work because mostly the Aslanti deities intervened. But the effects of Earthfall were felt in Numeria in that it wiped, wiped out most of the Kelid population. The people that survived went underground to hide. And while for most of Galarian, that was the end of Earthfall, the people of Numeria then experienced a second interstellar object crashing into their planet. About a thousand years later, in the year uh, minus 4363 AR, you had an event called the Reign of Stars, in which... Suddenly, seemingly out of nowhere, a massive metal object came crashing down on Numeria. For the most part, this was an event that was unwitnessed by most people who called Numeria their home as they were hiding underground. It actually took about a thousand more years before people were like coming out of their holes uh, and finding these buried pieces of spaceship that they would then like poke around to find wondrous pieces of alien technology, right? So the massive metal object was in fact a spaceship. It crashed into the center of Numeria and became a geological feature that they call Silvermount. And Silvermount is now like a half-buried ship and pieces of it fell all across the country. 
rendering it even less inhabitable than it was just after Earthfall. Which is always a nice thing. Um, <laughs> the barren yeah. wasteland's becoming more barren and wastelandy. Where before we had a like a blasted wasteland, uh, which was covered in like ash and dirt and all this stuff. Now you also get great things like radiation or fields that just happen to kill everyone who enters into a region for no other reason that there's enough people standing on top of it. So the ship that crashed carried with it alien technology from the, a distant world called Androtha. Basically, the Androthans were making an uncalculated maneuver into the Galarian system. I won't get into why they were making an uncalculated maneuver. If you want to find that out, you can play Iron Gods. <laughs> but basically, they were rushing into this system and ended up having to crash their ship onto Galarian for the safety of everyone. <laughs> Basically, the only option that they ended up having was scuttle the ship or very bad things would happen to everyone everywhere else in the galaxy. So they crashed the ship yeah. and pieces of the ship were scattered all around. And about a thousand years after the ship crashes, Numerian chieftains start like actually picking through the rubble and finding this technology and trying to find out what it does. And for a long period of time, there was a bit of a kind of a gold rush among the warring tribes to get the best stuff out of the ruins. However, this gold rush kind of culminated in an event which created uh, a blasted region, which we now call Witchlight Vale. Basically, a Kelid chieftain was picking through the debris at what is now Witchlight Vale and activated a weapon so powerful that it exploded and left a giant smoldering crater where that tribe had been. This is why you don't let barbarians play with bombs. Yeah, essentially they had activated a nuclear bomb. <laughs> <laughs> and when that happened, all Numerian chieftains saw how dangerous this technology was. And they decided to reverse this arms race that they were having for better and better technology that they got out of the uh, ruins. And they started burying it instead. And this became kind of their policy going forward. Yep. And for the longest time, actually like several thousand years, the burying of technology was seen as kind of a sacred duty among many of the Kelid tribes. It wasn't until like um, the, uh, what would this be, the 5th century? Yeah, 5th uh, century of the Common Era, right? After Aridan's already raised the Starstone and made the Isle of Cortos, that the Army of Exploration actually starts pushing into Numeria, and Numeria starts to feel outside influence once again. And it's around this time that adventurers start kind of trickling into Numeria. And the adventurers obviously want all this technology that the barbarians have been hiding away. But the barbarians want to maintain these taboos that have now been in place for thousands of years. And uh, there's, there's, a bit of a, there's a bit of a war that goes on, uh, I believe, with Ustalav, in which they go back and forth in control of Carrion Hill. Yeah, and this has been a ma like a massive time skip from the time they that barbarian chieftain blew up in minus thirty one sixteen AR up until like the back the battle with Ustalav. Uh, we're talking now been about five thousand years, two thousand almost yeah, six thousand years because uh, we're up, up to about twenty eight oh one AR uh, when Nemeria yeah. claims control of Carrion Hill, loses it tw again twenty years later to Ustalav. Yeah, and one thing one thing that uh, will become eminently clear to you if you ever explore the realm of Numeria is that there's a reason 
that nobody fucked with this stuff for like 5,000 years. And that is that Kelids are some of the most imposing people in the entire inner sea region. They do not accept bullshit uh, and they will destroy you if you try to push outside values into their their land. They uh, they have big sticks and they use them quite well. <laughs> the bigger the stick, the harder they can hit you with it. Exactly, right? For the longest time, they maintained this hegemony, right? It was started by basically the warring tribes. But when Taldor tried to push into the region in 499 AR, uh, they were pushed back by the Kelid tribes, who basically unified against an exterior foe. And in fact, there's a few events that are documented in the uh, setting guide that are just kind of instances where technology just fucked up and killed a bunch of people for no apparent reason. (laughs) (laughs) There is one that happened in uh, 3441 that I really liked telling my players about, which is the Battle of Fallheart, where basically these two armies met for battle and they were they were all ready to fight this battle and stake out their claim to this section of Numeria. But when they all met, their uh, armies were just killed because buried beneath that area, there was a technological artifact called an extinction wave device, which basically was waiting for a critical mass of people standing above it to detonate. (laughs) Extinction wave device uh, is an item that I don't believe ever actually comes up in Iron Gods. But basically, it is a mind-affecting effect that kills everybody in like huge radius it's like it's like a mind affecting new yeah that sort of made people back off on the adventuring side of everything uh when that happened basically word of that got around the inner sea similar to how word of the Witchlight veil explosion got around to the kelids before and it stayed roughly the same until a wizard by the name of karamis decided that he was going to go to silvermount and explore and this is where we see one of the first instances of a story that repeats itself again and again in Numerian history. By this time, he'd already developed his um, like working theory that organic life was inferior to mechanical life, um, just from his time spent. Without getting a little too into spoilers on that front, the development of this theory that organic life is inferior is a bit of a precursor to something that happens to a lot of people who go into Silvermount. That there will be some kind of influence that is sort of telling them that organic life is inferior and they need to go to Silvermount to upgrade their flimsy biological bodies. So Karamis went in sort of called by this muse. And when he went in, he was a well-seasoned adventurer. He was a wizard. He was very experienced. He spent 10 years preparing for it. But when he came out, he was not the same person. He was in Silvermount for 10 years uh, and when he came out, he was he had like this singular focus. He went straight to Absalom and built a fortress that he calls the Red Redoubt. And he started to besiege Absalom. Yeah, and this was in 3636 AR, of course. Yes, yeah, 3636. And he didn't maintain any contact with any of his previous research assistants or anything like that. He just went there, built this fortress, I think like overnight then started assaulting the place. And uh, Absalom uh, had a circle of druids, I believe, that repelled the assault. But the remains of the Red Redoubt are still there to this day. 
every now and then uh, some adventurers who want to find out how tech works but don't want to travel all the way to Numeria can delve into the Red Redoubt and see how far they can get before his mechanical creations uh, tear them limb from limb. It's actually really huge. Yeah. The Red Redoubt goes down like many, many levels. Yeah, I think uh, and if you do want to read more about that, uh, the Red Redoubt of Karamos, it is actually in Chapter 5 of Dungeons of Galarian. It gives you a yes. full detailed breakdown of it and how you can kind of adventure, although, like different adventure hooks and things for it. After Karamos had his excursion, there was a period where people start to realize the threat that Numeria possesses, right? It's no longer something that your average adventurer wants to go off and just go, I'm going to prove myself, get a gun, and have a good time, right? Mm-hmm. They, people have now learned that if you go to Numeria, there's a good chance that you will not come out the same if you come out at all. Yeah, if you don't come out in pieces. Yeah, exactly. Even the Kellids had sort of a changing response to this. And in, in 4024, Queen Beliga Barsoom founded a settlement on the slopes of Silvermount, which was kind of there to facilitate extracting as much wealth as possible from people going into Silvermount so that they wouldn't have any of this expensive money uh, <laughs> when they actually went through the doors, So because they probably wouldn't come back out. She developed this settlement, and unfortunately for her, word got around that she was helping people who wanted to explore ruins around Numeria. And in 4032, a totem warrior named uh, Amalakla rallied the Kelid tribes and sacked the settlement and built like a ziggurat on top of it and claimed it, calling it Starfall, basically a town in, in honor to the fall of stars that had happened back in negative 4363. And Amalakla was the first sovereign, wasn't she? She was the first sovereign of Numeria, basically a tradition that would then go on of any warlord who could capture Starfall would call themselves the Black Sovereign. They sit on a black meteor throne that has been in the Palace of Fallen Stars. The first Palace of Fallen Stars was built basically uh, with a ziggurat at the bottom and a dome over it. The dome collapsed and then they built a new one. Kellard's not necessarily known for their building prowess. So. No, not particularly. One of the things that's actually really prominent in Numeria is the worship of Xiphus. As you might expect, as all of this technology has been getting older and older, it's been getting glitchier and glitchier. Uh, and Xiphus is the god of accidental death. And he loves all of the accidents that happened in the land of Numeria. And so Starfall is actually considered a holy city of Xiphus. Just because of the sheer number of accidents and deaths. Exactly. In Silvermont itself. When you have that much glitching technology in one location, it it, uh, lends itself well. But time passed. In 4309, people from, I believe it was Taldor, started trying to establish a city along the northern banks of the uh, Selen. You know, basically the Selen River is a uh, arterial river that goes through a bunch of countries all through the inner sea. Taldans wanted to secure the mouth of the river on the Lake of Mists and Veils. And so they set up this fortress, which became Chesed. However, the locals were not too happy about that because basically right across the river from where they made their settlement, there was a burial site called the uh, Sable Barrow. And so the local Kelids started raiding this settlement over and over and over again in a series of attacks that were called the Barrow Raids. 
it actually got so significant that the Herald of Abadar, the lawgiver, manifested on Sable Barrow to cut down these Kelid tribes and secure the city for the Taldans. And because of that, Chesed became a holy site of Abadar, which uh, is kind of ironic in, in that most of Numeria is a very anarchic land, right? Yeah, it's one of the most, like, barren wasteland, like, uncivilized worlds, and it's got a holy site to the god of civilization, basically. Yeah, exactly. Like, Abadar manifested his herald, like, right there, and now Chesed becomes this island of law in the center of this sea of anarchy. And this will be relevant later, uh, because about 300 years later, Eridan dies. And when Eridan dies, the world wound opens in what was previously known as Sarkoris. And so now, with Chesed as kind of their last stop on the Selen River, Crusaders start flooding through Numeria, uh, heading for Chesed before they get into Mendev. Now, there is a significant event that happens in the intervening time. Basically, that ship that crashed thousands and thousands of years ago had a huge crew on it. But for the longest time, members of the crew were never really seen, right? I My expectation is that whatever members of the crew survived and were able to get out of out of uh, Silvermount probably didn't last long in the wasteland outside because we're in we're in the age of darkness when this thing crashed and there's not a lot of ways to survive in that area. However, in 4501, a stasis pod was opened containing uh, a woman named Sidra Imerus who was awoken by a group of mages who were basically studying the technology in Numeria. Sidra was very excited to share her wealth of knowledge about technology, and basically she wanted to continue uh, the ongoing fight that had been going before the ship crashed. And so she started educating these mages about everything she knew about technology, how you could repair it, how you could bend it to your will, how you could make new technology, and... She starts sharing all this information. She's very happy to get these mages on her side because, one, she doesn't know anything about magic. And two, they don't know anything, like, solid about technology. Yeah. And so in this exchange of information, she's very confident, and she mounts an expedition to go into Silvermount. And when she starts to go into Silvermount, the mages kill her. And that is the first betrayal of a faction that we will come to know as the Technic League. Technic League are a cabal of wizards uh, who make their home in Numeria. Their claim to fame is the blending of magic and technology uh, and using it to subjugate all of the, quote, dumb barbarians that live in Numeria. When the Technic League was founded in the early 4500s, they sort of did it with the goal of secretly hoarding as much technology as possible so that they could take control of Numeria. Over time, they slowly started building up more and more influence throughout Numeria. In 4606, Aridin dies, the world wound opens, and suddenly you have a bunch of crusaders flocking through Numeria. And so the technically had to keep their stuff kind of hush-hush so that no crusaders, like hedge knights, uh, decided to make a quick pit stop and start taking out cabals of wizards. They kind of started centralizing their power in Sovereign's Reach so that they could facilitate more expeditions into Silvermount. And basically, they had ongoing expeditions into Silvermount from 4512 uh, all the way up to the current year, which uh, at the beginning of Iron God's current year would have been 4714. There were a few other incidents 
Basically, in 4607, there was a giant sinkhole that opened up, revealing huge technology in, like, the northeast of Numeria. Near the town of uh, Crow Hollow, right? Yeah, near the town of Crow Hollow. Uh, basically, it was guarded by a tribe called the Mountain Crows. And uh, they tried to hide it from the Technic League, and it worked pretty well. For about 20 years, they hid this. Uh, and then a Technic League wizard named Alling Tresseran found out, and he went to investigate, never to be seen again. You notice the theme, somebody goes into a tech ruin and they're never heard from again. And the worst part was it wasn't even just him. It was him and the entire Mountain Crow tribe vanished. Exactly. The tribe vanishes and it becomes one of the most taboo sites in all of Numeria. Like, nobody goes there. This was one of the more public events in which the Technic League did something that greatly impacted the Kalids of Numeria. At this point, technically still kind of young in terms of Pathfinder factions. They've only been around for about 100 years. But suspicion starts to rise for them. Because they've also been predominantly working mainly with Silvermill. They hadn't really stretched out too much but at this point. So basically, in the next 60 years... The Technic League starts working in the shadows to centralize more and more power. They start learning that as wizards, they don't really have the manpower to exert enough control over Numeria to hold anything down, right? Wizards are strong uh, in terms of spellcasting ability, but they're not very strong in terms of, you know, muscle and moving materials. And so they, they kind of take on this policy of enslaving giants and androids and basically anybody else that they can subjugate and bend to their will. They start building up these, these massive excavation sites around Numeria, and then this starts to draw attention from the Kelids, because suddenly this nation, which for the last 8,000 years has been under the control of basically seven tribes. Uh, there's a few smaller tribes in the middle, but like seven major tribes have controlled most of Numeria. Suddenly, they're learning that there's actually another group with more power than them secretly pulling the strings behind almost every settlement in Numeria at this point. And so, in 4688, the Kelids have enough, right? A Kelid leader named Kevoth Kull unites uh, several of the tribes and declares war on the Technic League to drive them into submission. And he marches on Starfall, assaults the Technic League headquarters... Uh, and just as they're winning the war in, in 4690, the Technic League surrender. And they say, we're so sorry. Of course Numeria is meant to be ruled by Kelids. Of course it is. You can be the new Black Sovereign, and we will be your humble servants. One important thing about him, uh, he was from one of those many larger tribes. He was a Black Horse clan leader. Then he declared, not long after they surrendered, declared uh, Starfall as his new capital city. Yes. And uh, he took the meteor throne inside uh, the nicely renovated Palace of Fallen Stars. Not long after that, the Technic League started giving him advice. Little pieces of advice here and there. Things like, hey, you know, if you Kelids hate having all these adventurers here, you should get rid of the primary source of adventurers coming into your city. You should burn down the Pathfinder Lodge. And so he, he destroys the Starfall Pathfinder Lodge and basically declares all Pathfinders who are coming into Numeria for the express purpose of getting technology to be enemy spies. Uh, and he orders that they all be hanged, uh, any Pathfinder be executed basically on the spot. 
Yeah, they try and take any technology out of the mirror. Yeah, exactly. And so in the time from 4690 through to 4714, you start to see a period in which the Black Sovereign is in charge of Numeria, but really the technically is. Yeah, because he was basically a puppet on dancing on their strings at this point in time due to a mind-altering fluid that he'd become addicted to that they served him to basically keep him uh, docile. Yeah. Basically, uh, any ship that's in Numeria has like this uh, milieu of different chemicals that at one time in the past all had distinct purposes. But over the course of like 10,000 years, with all of them seeping into the ground and getting into the groundwater, those distinct purposes have become a little muddied. And now you end up with this Numerian fluid that is highly unpredictable and also highly addictive. So what the Technical League started doing was feeding... Kevoth Cole, Numerian fluid to mess with his judgment and keep him under their control. And basically, they could keep him under regular doses of Numerian fluid to make sure that he was never lucid enough to realize how much control they were gaining. This is a policy that started under uh, under the captain of the Technical League at the time uh, and continued on underneath uh, a Technical League commander named Zernabeth. Mm-hmm. Basically, Zernabeth is a Technical League commander who led an expedition into Silvermount that got further than anybody had ever gotten before. And then when she came back out, she was made commander of the Technical League. And that lasted until 4709, when another Technical League agent went even further into Silvermount and then came back out. And when Osmond Zydal went in, he was kind of a brusque, cocky young guy who basically went into Silvermount with something to prove. He came out motivated and driven to restructure the Technic League into an organization that could basically create a shadow government that would rule all of Numeria. And so from 4709 to 4714, the Technic League is in the process of infiltrating every single city in Numeria. The city of Torch has to pay this huge tax to the Technic League every six months just to keep refining Sky Metal. But basically, the Technic League start start like uh, enslaving a bunch of Ash Giants from the Feldales, a region that they previously couldn't get a lot of resources out of just because it's so inhospitable. You really start at this point to find out that the Technic League is really the brains of the operation, especially under Asmund's Idol. The guy is brutal. Uh, he has a trick up his sleeve for anybody who wants to fuck him over. He is a tough guy. But then he mysteriously died in 4716. He did. Somewhere around 4716, give or take maybe uh, a year or so, Osmond Zytel, uh mysteriously died at the hands of some adventurers. And I don't know if we want to get into all of the stuff that happens in those mysterious uh, years of 4714 to 4716, but Kevoth depending on how those years play out, becomes more lucid or dies. Uh, who knows? Uh, <laughs> the canonical ending of Iron Gods, as it's written out in the Pathfinder 2E lore book, has Keboth Cole becoming more lucid. Uh, Osmond Zydal is dead. There's a new god. Uh, I won't get into that. <laughs> if you want to find out more about those events, I highly recommend the Iron Gods Adventure Path. So you can play through history itself and change the history for your world. So now we now we start to get kind of an idea of what Numeria is like. Buried technology, warring barbarians. And the things that really help shape this barren wasteland into what it is today. Exactly. 
All right. Any questions? No. So <laughs> what we'll do, uh, we'll just take a quick musical break. Uh, we're going to come back and we'll talk about geography, the cities, and uh, some of the organizations within Merrier itself. We'll be right back. Hey guys and welcome back. Alright, we are going to kick into some of the geography, uh, some of the uh, cities and the organisations within Nemeria. Kicking off about what the land looks like and where it is, we're going to kick off with Feldale. The Feldales is a the blasted wasteland haunted by robots, um, whether they're working or not. Uh, it's also where a lot of the giants live in the area, having pushed themselves south um, from the world wound when it ho opened up uh, into the Feldales as well. Uh, anyone that basically was fleeing from Sarkoris ended up there. You also got some dwarves in there, lots of mutants from the toxic waste and the radioactivity. But tell us a bit more about that area. I'm sure it's explained a lot more in Iron Gods than it is elsewhere. Yeah, there. So, uh, book four of Iron Gods takes place in the Feldales. It's it's a it's a really dangerous region. Uh, basically, we spend the first three books of Iron Gods talking in nebulous terms about how the Feldales is super dangerous, and people that go into the Feldales generally never return. Blah blah blah. It's a story. At this point, we've heard it a few times. You know, you go into Silvermount, people never return. You go into Crow Hollow, people never return. Well, the Feldales is one giant desert. Topographically, it's very similar to like the American Southwest, where it's got these these huge stone structures that have been like windswept and eroded over time, and just just horrible badlands where nothing grows and everything is horrible, <laughs> and nobody lives there. The only settlements around the Feldales are quite literally around the Feldales, around the edges. Yeah, in the north we have the city of Aramor. Uh, which is home to a Kelid tribe called the Blades of Aramor. Basically, the defining feature of the Blades of Aramor is that they are a bulwark against the whirlwind. Mm -hmm. And so the city of Aramor is kind of the choke point at which they stop all demonic incursion into Numeria from the whirlwind. So uh, it's led by uh, Chief Rothgar, who is a barbarian uh, warlord, and Dura Jakos who is known as the Iron Hand of Gorum, who is a war priest. Now, in their midst, they do actually have a Technic League informant who sort of makes sure that the defenses hold. And a lot of people do not like there being a Technic League informant in this area. Of course not. Why would you want them in your city? He, he, this is actually one of the more prominent Technic League informants uh, in the entire region. A guy named Kenneth uh, and... Like one one aspect of him, there have been thirteen attempts made on in his life since his appointment in forty seven eleven. This shows how much they really don't like the Technic League. They really don't. Yeah, the Kellids really hate the Technic League. But Aramor's main purpose is to be a bastion against demonic incursion. Sort of going across the entire region over to Castle Urien, you have another bastion, which is basically the Crusaders' last stop on the west side of Numeria. Like, if they want to make the journey overland, they stop at Castle Urien before uh, heading on to Nerosian. 
Most people take the Selen, which goes up along the border between uh, the Marian Plains and the Selen Hills. However, if you want to go along the west route, you can go uh, by Castle Urien and either take rivers up along the western border of the Feldales, or you can make the journey overland if you like to die. But basically, Castle Urien was gifted to the Black Sovereign in 4692, and it was it was supposed to be sort of a placating measure to keep the Sovereign from barring Crusaders from coming new, from Numeria. It's currently staffed by Paladins of Iomidae. Much like anything related to the Crusades, they want to make sure that troops have a safe place to rest so that by the time they get to the World Wound, they'll be fresh and ready to fight. So... Nominally, Castle Urien is owned by the Black Sovereign. However, functionally, it is controlled exclusively by the Church of Iomidae. Then you've got a couple of other smaller towns like scattered around, like Dravodnok and Kura Town as well, um, all in that civilized belt next to the western Selen River, basically, because that's the only civilized... Sorry, the only part of the land that actually grows anything. It's not a barren wasteland. Yeah. Dravidnok is uh, right on the right on the shores of Lake Porphyria, which if you go right across the river, you have the Ustalavic city of Karkow. And Karkow is very famous for having like this like grand opera house and, you know, it has a lot of lavish high society stuff. And Dravidnok is, as the name sort of elicits... Dravidnok is kind of a muddy, messy town built on stilts. Basically, the people of Dravidnok are called Nox, uh, and they make a living just drying the mud of the shore into mud bricks that they can sell to people downriver or in Karkow for building purposes. But their their city itself is it's pretty ramshackle. Yeah, I imagine it would be. And so on, that's the west side city. Uh, basically as close as you get to civilization in the western part of the Feldales. On the east side, you have Kura Town, which is an orcish stronghold named for their leader, Kura, who created this little orcish enclave to act as kind of a bulwark against all the Kelids around them. It's always interesting when the orcs have to protect themselves from somebody. Yeah, yeah, you're right. There's not a ton of orcs in Numeria, and that's actually going back to... The Age of Darkness, when the Kelids went underground, they actually kind of remained underground until the Dwarven quest for Sky, right? And so basically, Dwarves started pushing the Kelids back onto the surface during the quest for Sky. So you had this three-part war, which was Dwarves versus Orcs versus Kelids versus Orcs, and Numeria ended up having a population primarily of Kelids. Other places, like Belkson, ended up with primarily a population of orcs, and obviously the Five Kings ended up with a primary population of dwarves. Now, the Feltdales is also home to some of the most prolific adventure sites in Numeria. One, we talked about a little bit earlier, you have Witchlight Vale, where where a chieftain activated a nuclear bomb, basically, Mm -hmm. and blew up the entire area, and it's still radioactive to this day. Two, you have the Plain of Ten Thousand Swords, which is a location where there was a huge battle in 3489, and it ended in a stalemate. All of the warriors were bound to their weapons, and the weapons still remain on the Plain of Ten Thousand Swords. And if you pick one up, you can either work with or be possessed by a spirit of one of these warriors who seeks to finish their last business on the Material Plane before moving on. Also within this area, you have got uh, the Rose War, which is a small town, uh, possibly still invaded by body thieves and their spawn. 
the Rose War itself is less a town and more a grove in which this strange plant creature started snatching uh, members of Idenvey, a town slightly to the east of that, and replacing them with clone pod duplicates. And that was that was a thing that happened, I think, in 4650. And then apparently they were defeated at some point, but uh, the rumor is it might not have been defeated for good. Yeah, basically, uh, the town of Idenvey is an Aristilian uh, settlement where basically Aristilians who were fleeing uh, the war between Molthun and Nermathos came up to Numeria to get away from the war and founded this very insular community. And then their people started getting replaced by pod people (laughs) Uh, from the Rose War. The Rose War uh, was sort of the name for the plant itself and also for the attempt to destroy the plant. Then we also have the Scar of the Spider, which is a canyon in the center of the Feldales. And in recent years, this place has become home to very strange alien life. You have plants that are growing with more flesh-like features. You have toxic water flowing out of this unnamed river. Most notably, in 4709... An annihilator robot rampaged through the Feldales before going into the Scar of the Spider. And so as of the beginning of Iron Gods, that would be about five years ago. As of right now, if we were to go with uh, Pathfinder chronology, that would be roughly the equivalent of 2009. So so moving from the area of Felsdale, we move east over to the Numerian Plains. The Numerian Plains is the richest region in Numeria. Most of the stable settlements that you'll find in Numeria are in the Numerian Plains. Like I said, you have Idenvey, uh, which was uh, founded by refugees from Nermathos, fleeing the Molthun-Nermathos War to, on the south side of Lake Encarthen. And then to uh, north of that, you have Marstall, which is just a, a small farmer community. Most notably, for anybody who wants to get into the Iron Gods Adventure Path, you have the city of Torch. Torch is a city that was founded about 100 years ago where a dwarf named Dolga Fredert found that you could use this plume of fire that started shooting up out of the ground around that time to smelt sky metal, which is an alloy of adamantium and different, uh, like, irons and steels and stuff. And basically, about 100 years ago, this hill started shooting out a purple flame. It is so powerful that you can smelt adamantium in it. And so Dolga Fredert set up her uh, set up her little workshop and she started smelting sky metal. And then more people came and then they started working with it. And basically, if anybody's played Pathfinder for a long time, you know that adamantium stuff is super valuable and everybody pays like top dollar for it. And so the City of Torch started flourishing because they had this place where they could smelt it. The other important city within the region, of course, being uh, Hajoth Hakados, I think, is how it would said. Yeah, the way that we've always pronounced it is uh, Hajoth Hakados. I don't know if there's an official pronunciation. Yeah, I haven't seen one. Yeah, but basically Hajoth Hakados is a unique city in that it is completely neutral. It is not controlled by the Technic League. It is not controlled by any Kelid tribe. It is ruled over by a half-elf woman uh, named Lady Altuna. In Hajathakados, you actually have a lot of aliens who have been found in ruins throughout Numeria 
taking refuge. And some some actually are pretty open about their extraterrestrial identity. For instance, there is a there's an alchemist named Sithril. Uh, who actually runs a shop in Hajathakados. Sithril is a uh, witch weird, which are a which are a spacefaring race of aliens with four arms that keep their faces hidden, not to be confused with another four-armed sp- sp- <laughs> uh, uh, species of alien that keeps their face hidden, the Kasatha. But yeah, Sithril is an alchemist who actually like runs a shop there. Famously, Hajathakados is is home to a coliseum called the Synthuriad, where different factions can settle their differences in either public debate or bloody combat at the behest of Lady Altuna. Hajathakados is really good. It's sort of a it's sort of a trade hub for most of Numeria where most Numerians kind of send their goods to Hajathakados to sell them uh, because it has uh, a lot of relationships with the river kingdoms and with Ustalav. There's also little towns around here, you know, like you got Marstall, you got Blackpipe there is uh, an android enclave in a, in a region called Zamrax Haven. And then because there wasn't enough uh, holy sites already in Numeria as well, you've also got Gorm's Pots uh, in this area. Oh, yes. Uh, holy site of Gorm. Yeah, Gorm's Pots is, is a great uh, place. It's, it's a bubbling pit of acidic water that is too danger- too hot and too acidic to be used as hot springs. It is a notable geological feature that a lot of people sort of treat as like a tourist attraction. Alright, so from there we're going to move up the way uh, to the Selen Hills, which lie north, sorry, to the east, uh, northeast of the um, Numerian Plains, sorry. Yes, so you have, in the Selen Hills, there's really only one major city, and that city is Chesed. Chesed is the only city in Numeria that is large enough to be categorized in the setting guide as a metropolis. And that's because it is a it is a holy site of Abadar. Like I said earlier, uh, the lawgiver manifested on top of Sable Barrow and drove out the local Kelids. And now you have this city that's divided into basically of two banks, sorry, of the Selen River. And the Church of Abadar is established on the west bank, uh, and then the lower income regions are mostly on the east bank. And it is the last stop before Mendev for any crusaders taking the Selen River up. It is the only, like, real city in the Selen Hills, but it's not the only settlement. You have a ratfolk settlement in the center called Chitterholm and a bandit lair in a refuse pile called Scrapwall. Scrapwall is a five-mile-long debris field that was made from a ship that's basically just scattered all of its contents across this five-mile-long stretch. And now the people of Scrapwall use it as a hiding place while they raid caravans that are going into Chesed. Scrapwall itself is just a is just a bunch of warring gangs. And Book Two of Iron Gods actually takes place there. There are a few tribes that call the Selen Hills home. Basically, you have the Ghost Wolves that basically control the south, drawing their western border along the Selen River, uh, and then basically going east all through Numeria uh, until you get to Fallheart. And so basically the ghost wolves are the most technophobic tribe in Numeria. If you're carrying technology, they will kill you on sight. And they call the Selen Hills home. There used to be a tribe called the uh, called the Mountain Crows up in the northeast corner, but they were they disappeared along with Alan Tresserant. Uh, now the northeast corner is primarily just occupied by a tribe called the Sunderhorns. And I'll get into them later. 
Alright, and then back across the Salen River and above the Numerian Plains, we have Sovereign's Reach. Of course, being the region where you'll find Starfall. Yep, Starfall, again, uh, is the capital of Numeria. Uh, it is the home of the Palace of Fallen Stars. It is on the slopes of Silvermount, uh, and it controls all access to Silvermount. It is basically impossible to get into Silvermount without going through Starfall. Now the Technic League use it as, you know, their base of operations for all their expeditions. In past years, adventurers used it as a place to gather resources before going into Silvermount. But now there really are no adventurers going into Silvermount. It's all Technic League. Sovereign's Reach is home to only one major Kellid tribe, and that is the White Scar tribe. The White Scars are the most loyal to the Sovereign. The other major settlements in Sovereign's Reach are Lackthroat, which is basically the Las Vegas of Numeria. It's a gambling and drug ring where people coming up to Nerosian for the Crusades can get out all of the vices that they want before they're under the watchful eye of Queen Galfrey. One last hurrah. Yeah, exactly. Like, if you if, if you want to get drunk, if you want to get high, uh, if you want to gamble all your money away, this is the place to do it before you get into Mendev. Nobody is going to judge you and say that uh, you're one with the demon armies here. Th- th- this is just the place where you get to have fun uh, and leave it there and then go fight in the, in the world. <laughs> nice. And then you have the city of Greymore, which is kind of an enig- enigmatic city. It's been lorded over by a guy named Cheldane Greymore for a very, very long time. And a lot of the mannerisms of this guy sort of betray his Ustalavic origins. And for anybody who knows Ustalav, you know that that is a land ruled by primarily vampiric counts. And there are a lot of rumors circulating around Greymore that Cheldane Greymore could be a vampire or something. And that's why he tries to uh, meet people in the sunlight to try and dispel those rumors. Exactly. He actively seeks out meeting people in the sunlight so that they don't believe that he's a vampire. However, the rumors still persist. Yeah, there's also, well, there's also a, a lovely region, a lovely spot in uh, Sovereign's Reach called Hollow Garden, uh, which is basically a defective hollow deck, and it's one of my favorite locations in all of uh, Numeria. This hollow deck module crashed in the eastern part of Sovereign's Reach. And the AI that was supposed to monitor all the activities there and keep people entertained sort of went a little crazy and started just killing people. All right, so moving on from the geography, uh, we've already talked a bit about each of the cities and the regions. There is obviously a lot of organizations within every country. Uh, The main ones that make up Numeria, of course, being the Technic League, uh, which we have touched on quite a bit. Uh, You've got the small enclave of androids, which doesn't really bear too much of a mention, really. And then you've got the seven different tribes of the Kellids. Uh, we mentioned that the Black Horse tribe is where uh, Kragreth Kol is from. Oh, sorry. So, Kevath Kol is the Black Sovereign. He's he's from the Black Horse tribe. Yeah. Um, his, so, the since his ascension to uh, Black Sovereign, the tribe has been led by... Cousin. First cousin. Yeah, first cousin. It's his, it's his cousin... Uh, Kragreth Call, yes. who uh, is trying to maintain the image that the Black Horse tribe is connected to the Sovereign while secretly kind of working to plan an overthrow of him to basically get him off the throne. And one of those plans is breeding uh, Vexkits, 
<laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, he's, he's breeding um, gremlins and, and veggie pygmies. <laughs> the Black Horse tribe, uh, as their name suggests, are, are uh, horse lords. They, they use the very mild topography of the Numerian Plains to control the region uh, from horseback primarily. Their biggest rival, at least at the moment, are the Bloodgars. The Bloodgars are led by a chieftain named Gorok Mallhand. And the Bloodgars are uh, actually a river-faring tribe that controls the Seven Tears River, which is a river that starts in Torch and then joins the Selen at Hajathakados. Basically, they patrol the Seven Tears River, they patrol the Selen up uh, to... The Lake of Mist and Vales? Not all the way to the Lake of Mist and Vales. They don't go so far as Scrapwall. Uh, because Scrapwall sort of lays claim to its surrounding territory. But the Bloodgars actually go down as well into the River Kingdoms. And they will plague a bunch of the travelers and small kingdoms that make up the River Kingdoms. Uh, excising like this, this huge toll for anybody who wants to cross the river or do business with them. Basically, they'll, they'll, they'll show up on their barges, raid a coastal town, and then disappear down the river again. We've already talked a little bit about the Blades of Aramore as well, obviously based in the city of Aramore in the Feldales with Chief Rothgar. Next up on the list, though, is the Ghost Wolves. Yes. Yeah, as I was saying before, the Ghost Wolves uh, are the most technophobic tribe in all of Numeria, and they will kill you just for openly bearing technology in their region. They patrol primarily the Selen Hills. They mostly respect the border between the Black Horse and them, which is the Selen River. Basically, one of the reasons why the Black Horse have conflicts with the Bloodgars is that the border between the Ghost Wolves and the Black Horse is supposed to be the Selen River, but the Bloodgars patrol the Selen River like all the time. Yeah. Uh, and so the Black Horse treat this as an incursion onto their territory. The Ghost Wolves don't really care so much because they mostly draw the border along the east bank of the Selen River. But if you want to find out more about the Ghost Wolf tribe, there is actually an adventure where you deal with their chieftain, Zolnamog, called the Wardens of Sulphur Gulch. It's a Pathfinder Society adventure, uh, and you get to uh, treat with Zolnamog or fight with her, depending on how you approach things. Then to the north of them, you've got the Summit Horns. Yes. Uh, in the northern part of the Southern Hills. Lots of rumors about them, um, but really, what, one of the biggest ones, the best one, is that when Rovagog was trapped many aeons ago, before time recorded, he, he fell in the Selen Hills in the area that is now claimed by the Sunderhorn tribe and left behind some plates of his uh, of kite, he plates of his chitin, as well as something very, very dangerous. One of the seeds of Robogog. And this has driven the tribe to a level of, almost like, well, the chief at least, to a level of insanity. Yeah, they're, they're now led by a worshipper of Rovagug who calls himself Rovagug's Nails. <laughs> he, was, he was originally uh, a guy named Givholt, and then he maintained this connection with this rough seed. Now he is just this driven annihilator who wants to basically conquer all of the Selen Hills. A lot of the post-Iron Gods descriptions of Numeria talk about, like, internal warring factions uh, and I don't think they've ever explicitly said which tribes are at war with which but I 
I, if I were to run a post Iron Gods Numeria adventure, I would probably have Givhalt be the the major antagonist. If you were to side with Kevoth Cole in trying to maintain control of the, the region, yeah. One of the widest ranging of the tribes, though, is also the Tiger Lords. Uh, they literally will yes. travel across the breadth of Numeria, uh, from the Roman the Mammoth Lords all the way through to Bravoy and the uh, River Kingdoms and as far off as Iobaria. Yeah, the Tiger Lord tribe, depending on how your playthrough of the Kingmaker adventure path goes, could be led by a guy named Armog Twiceborn, uh, or by whoever else you happen to put on the put on the throne for them. <laughs> yeah. I believe book four of Kingmaker actually deals with an invasion by the Tiger Lords, uh, led by Armog the Twiceborn. Uh, and then the final tribe we have, of course, is the White Scars. I wonder where they got that name from. The White Scar tribe uh, is led by a brother and sister uh, named Weseva and Dar Nightsign. The White Scars have a pretty bad reputation among the Kelid tribes in that most people see them as the least, least honorable tribe uh, in Numeria because they seem perfectly fine with the technically controlling Kevoth Kull so long as they keep getting paid. It's all about the money. Yeah, like White Scars are basically the fuck y'all got mine uh, tribe. All right. And uh, as we mentioned, there is also the Technic League, uh, but we've gone over them so much at this point. Instead, what we're going to do is take a quick break, come back, talk about adventures you can have in Demeria, and we're also going to throw the question at Rain of what his favorite Pathfinder creature is. We'll be after, back right after this music. Oh boy. Hey guys, welcome back. We are going to dive quickly into modules, adventure paths, and society games set in Numeria. Uh, obviously, as mentioned, Wardens of the Sulphur Gulch, uh, you've already laid down, was a chat or a possibly fight uh, with the Ghost Wolves. We've also got another one, Return to Sky. Have you played any of these other ones that aren't Iron Gods? Like any of the other? Uh, I, I haven't played them as written. Um, I did use Return to Sky for uh, a side adventure uh, that I did in uh, Chessid. Uh, within the first edition rule set, of course, we've also got a one of the quests from back in 2014, the uh, Silver Hex Chronicles Part 4 takes part in Numeria, as well as a lot of the surrounding regions, Grailton, River Kingdoms, Ustala, Varno, Rizmaran. Yeah, I, I read... I read Silver Hex a long time ago. I don't remember what it's about, though. So basically, it's about a, a half-orc offering to sell them a magical uh, sickle called the Silver Hex, but doesn't show up to the meet, and so the PCs find her journal and need to hunt down where what happened to her. And rounding off our first edition adventures, of course, Iron Gods. Iron Gods is a sweeping story uh, in which, like, the big bullet points of it are uh, there is a power rising in Silvermount, and... The tendrils of its power have crept into many aspects of Numeria. And Iron Gods is all about realizing how much of Numeria's fate has been shaped by something that dwells within Silvermount. And how, if it's if we don't do something about it, it will control the fate of all of Galarian. And perhaps all of the, all the universe. Ouch. Always like, everything's got to be big. 
always big. There's uh, there's a graph out there where uh, somebody somebody basically took every Pathfinder adventure path and graphed what the stakes were. Like if you fail this adventure path, how many people get affected, right? There's some adventures like Curse of the Crimson Throne or Hell's Rebels or stuff like that, where if you fail this adventure path, one city gets kind of fucked up, right? And then there's some like Giant Slayer or Kingmaker or others like that, where if you fuck this up, a country gets destroyed, right? Iron Gods is on there uh, as if you fail this adventure path, everyone in the universe is affected. <laughs> Ouch. That is a lot to lot, lot to weigh on your team there. Don't worry, we start small and we work our way up. Of course, every time. <laughs> uh, as, as said, m- mentioning 2nd edition, uh, there's only a couple of society games for that. Shadows of the Black Sovereign, which takes place in and around Starfall. Uh, and then a second one written by a friend of the show, Vanessa Hoskins. She was on a couple of episodes ago. Yeah, Vanessa! Yeah, so that, that is the Lightning Strikes Stars Fall that takes place as well in the Numerian Wastes as you guide a caravan across them. Alright, and then this is my favourite part of every show. What is your favourite Pathfinder creature? God, that's 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 a really that's a really hard uh, choice. I'm trying to think of the name of the creature. Uh, but uh, it's this it's this gargantuan flying Oh, it's it's a flying polyp. Yeah, it's a flying oh, yes. polyp. Yeah. Oh god, I fucking love the flying polyp. Let me let me pull up its stat block here. So yeah, we talked we talked a little about these in the second episode, I believe, when we were talking about the fact that they fell to earth. Uh, these followers of the Yellow King, uh, King and infected yeah. a couple of different regions. Yeah. The 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 flying polyp is is just such a fucking great monster, um, and I actually had it in the town of Idenvay. There is a stargazer. Right, who his name is Agler, uh, and he has an astronomy shop. And when they founded the town of Idenvay, there was a Kelid shrine built there. That all it said on it, the, like the only remnant of whatever tribe had lived there before, had an inscription that said, "Watch ye warily the skies." Right. Mm-hmm. So I scoured the bestiaries trying to find a creature that matched the description of what they were talking about where basically there would be these little lights in the sky that only children would be able to see uh, and then after seeing the lights people would just fucking disappear <laughs> uh, and so after scouring the bestiary for anything that could sort of fit the description of something that was like partially invisible and could just make people disappear I found the flying polyp uh, and I and I made this thing that basically just can pull people toward it from like a mile away. <laughs> it has this this sucking wind effect that starts at a hundred foot radius and then increases until it gets to a mile. <laughs> and if the if this wind effect is on you anywhere in that radius, it can use a it can use a free action to pull you toward it. That is hectic. Uh, and then it can, like, put out blasts of wind, which I like anything that has one of those, like, every 1D X rounds it can do a thing. The Flying Polyp has a wind blast that it shoots out of its mouth that creates an explosion of wind in a 30-foot radius burst. <laughs> and so the thing is partially invisible. It can pull at you from a mile away. Uh, and if you are unlucky enough to get too close to it, 
It has four tentacle attacks. It can grab you. It can constrict you. It's it's so fucking nasty. Yeah, it's brutal. And it's disgusting. It's got a frightful presence with a 90-foot aura. With a DC 24. Like, it is hectic. I had one of these actually attack the town of... I- oh, not I- uh, The town of uh, Hajathakados. While the party was there for the New Year festival, as the as the year turned from forty seven fourteen to forty seven fifteen, basically it attacked, and the leader of Hajathakados fought side by side with the party to repel this thing uh, before it ate too many of her subjects. And for those who haven't heard of what this disgusting creature sound looks like, it's a nauseating tapered tower of flesh, eyes, and tendrils. Coiling through the air, surrounded by a strange vortex of sucking wind. So not a pleasant creature to look at either. But they are incredible, Jesus. It's so gross. It's got, like, mouths coming out of all sides of its body. Uh, it's, like, got all these, like, blisters coming out. But it just floats, right? It, it just it just floats through the air, partially visible. <laughs> uh, and it, one of the things that I love in the, in the flavor of it is that they say that flying polyps have worlds where they build entire cities as they as they engage on like these genocidal campaigns through the dark tapestry. And I was like, that's so fucking wild. Yeah, it's amazing. All right, and that will wrap up our deep dive into Numeria. Uh, I want to once more thank you for coming, Reno. Uh, where can people find you? Yeah, if you want to hear me talk more, um, first of all... How? How? After all of this, did you want to hear more? But seriously, you can check out To Have and To Roll, uh, which is a Curse of the Crimson Throne podcast, which I run with my wife. She is running an entire four-person adventuring party through all the horrible things that the city of Corvosa can throw at you, which are indeed really horrible. And you can find me personally on Twitter. Uh, I'm at Rain Zero. That's R-A-N-E and the number zero. I have little little ramblings about tabletop uh, role-playing games and stuff. Uh, I'm also a moderator of the Glass Cannon fan server, if you ever want to go there. <laughs> but yeah, check out Tavid to Roll. We are currently in book three of Curse of the Crimson Throne, uh, and things are heating up there. Amazing. And you can also find me at the Hobble Goblin Facebook page, Instagram, and Twitter accounts, hobbled underscore goblin for most of those. And next week, I will be back with PJ Megor from Nat20 Productions. And we're going to dive into the diabolical nation of Cheliax. I'm Liam. Good night, Galarian. (laughs) 